If um, you didn't get a chance to hear um, John unpack where we were in Mark last week and just the danger of unbelief, uh, I would encourage you to just go and, and listen. Uh, you can go on the website and do that. But I don't think, I, I think we severely underestimate the danger of unbelief in a Christ follower's life and in the church. Uh, it can be a very subtle thing, but it can be very damaging and destructive if given a foot uh, to grab onto. Um, John talked about how unbelief causes us to challenge Jesus' authority, uh, to question his character, and we become very familiar with things. And God forbid if John 3.16 becomes routine in our hearts and our minds. The danger of John 3.16 being insignificant in our lives is very real and very eye-opening. And, uh, and so I just want to encourage you, uh, if you can, to, to spend some time considering that uh, and you can go and listen to that next week or last week, uh, last week's sermon, and be caught up with us. But we're continuing in, Math, uh, in Mark chapter six, uh, starting in verse six. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We don't have to read it yet. Um, but Jesus is beginning to be uh, rejected more and more, and there's a turn that most say happens in Mark six that points to Jesus's recognition. That he's headed, I mean, he knows he's going to Jerusalem, and he knows why he's going to Jerusalem. He's going to die. He's going to die, and he knows that. And so Jesus is what sounds like a really interesting reality TV series that we're about to read wasn't just this test. It was a necessity for Jesus to send these guys out and do what they were going to go do. And so this wasn't Jesus going, hmm, I'm going to throw them out there and make them uncomfortable. No, he understood the multiplication that had to go on because he was headed to Jerusalem to die. Like that's where he was going and why he was going there to lay down his life. And so the necessity of the disciples going out was going to be essential to understanding the mission and message of Christ. And so in Mark chapter 6, here we read, Then Jesus went from village to village, teaching the people. And he called his twelve disciples together and began sending them out two by two, giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. He told them to take nothing with them for their journey except a walking stick, no food, no traveler's bag, no money. It's like a reality show. I'm telling you, you read this and you go, man, I think Christian television should pick this up and I think we should do it. And no, I'm just kidding. Don't. Don't do that. Please, don't do a reality show based on uh, whatever. Um, he allowed them to wear sandals, but not to take a change of clothes. Wherever you go, he said, stay in the same house until you leave town. But if any place refuses to welcome you or listen to you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. So the disciples went out, telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God. And they cast out many demons and healed many sick people, anointing them with olive oil. Let's pray. God, I just ask that in these moments, uh, your spirit would open our eyes to your word. Lord, we, we're helpless without you, and we need you so desperately to, to grasp and to uh, hold on to and be convicted by your word. And so just ask in these few moments that we have together that you would do that. And you'd open our eyes to the stories that we are to tell. And the story that we're to tell is the point to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Um, so in a very interesting turn of events for the disciples, as Miss Sue showed, uh, these disciples were no longer invited to simply be spectators or learners of Jesus, but they were actually to be the ones engaged 
in sharing the mission and the message of the kingdom. Uh, I don't know, how many of you have ever learned something? <laughs> Just thought I'd throw this out there. Uh, we're getting to know each other real well this morning. I learned something. Um, how many of you learned from someone else that thing? Anyone? Anyone? Okay, cool. Well, um, a couple years ago, more like about 15 years ago, I wanted to pick up the guitar and start learning to play the guitar really just to impress Doreen. Uh, she already knew how to play all these instruments and she could sing and I was just like, I'm going to try and learn the guitar and play the Rainbow Connection and sing in a falsetto voice. Um, I won't do that. Um, but I wanted to learn and, and actually I was challenged by Shannon who was the, the planter, the lead planter of this church to learn to play the guitar because we were traveling as a part of a team that went to different places and we spoke in schools and churches and all the different stuff and he said you may be asked to lead worship in these places that you go to and I remember going I just wanted to learn to impress a girl I don't know about playing guitar leading other people in that process and so started to learn to play the guitar and there was a time Shannon said and Shannon already knew how to play guitar and he'd already been leading worship for a long time and he says to me um, you've been learning. I want you to come and lead worship with me at this student conference, and I want you to play the second guitar. I'll lead. You just stand up there and play. And I was like, excuse me? Like, I thought I just did the, I thought I was just supposed to be learning this. Like, I'm not actually going to do it. I'm going to learn it, but I'm not going to do it. And so I remember getting up there, and I was strumming and playing along. I mean, I've, I was like, please turn me down in the house. Don't make any noise come from my guitar. And I'm, you know, kind of fumbling through. I kid you not, Shannon breaks a string. <laughs> playing his guitar. Bring! And I see it come flying off of his guitar, and I'm like, oh, like, I'm a worship leader. I can't be thinking that, Jesus. <laughs> so I'm playing, and he kind of makes it through pulling that string out of the way. And I think, you know, it was a common string that gets broken. I swear to you, this day, he's playing. He breaks another string. This one, the top E string, the big, thick, heavy string that no one in their right mind should ever break. And he breaks it, and he's like, you're just going to have to take it. <laughs> I forgot how to use my fingers. I didn't know what I was holding. It was one of those out-of-body experiences, and all I could feel was the disapproval of everyone out in the crowd going, why are you playing guitar? And like, I, I mean, it was one of the most humbling, most ridiculous moments of my life but if you've ever been thrown into that position of you're not just learning or spectating, but you're actually doing, there's this, oh, what, what in the world? I, I mean, really? Like, I, I know I, I, I've got this down. You know, as a basketball player, you can practice a billion times, but it was in the games. You'd lose your mind. You'd forget everything you practiced. But in this moment, like I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall with the disciples and with Jesus, and Jesus is calling them in for a huddle, and he's like, come on, guys. And the guy's like, all right, here's, here's what Jesus is going to teach us. And he's like, all right, you two, you two, you two, you two, you two, get out. What do you mean, get out? What do you mean, go? Okay. I mean, and this is what we would probably do. We would probably just naturally start thinking, all right. So I need to plan, I need to pack my bag, I need to get all this stuff together, because, I mean, Jesus is the one who multiplies the bread. He's not going with us, so i got to pack for days. Uh, and Jesus is like, oh, yeah, don't take anything with you. 
And James and John are like, but our mom has this awesome camper. We can fill it full of stuff and take care of all our needs for the whole time we're gone. And Jesus is like, you're not going to need it. And this is where the disciples were probably like, but won't we, Jesus? No. But won't we, Jesus? No. But won't we? No. Get out and go. Oh, and you're going to need your walking stick. And I'll let you bring your shoes, but don't take a change of clothes. I mean, can you imagine being in this situation? Can you imagine the way you would feel having been provided for in every way possible because Jesus is with you, like he's with you, he's walking with you, he's, he's journeying with you, he's, he's providing, he's doing these mind-blowing things and providing fish and bread and, and for crowds and for thousands of people and he's healing and it's like, you're with Jesus and you're thinking, this is awesome and then he says, now I need you to go. I need you to do what I was doing. I'm giving you all the authority that I have to get out and go. Now, it's interesting as I was reading these, these verses and just kind of considering it all week, you know, I know that we can get caught up into the little detail things in this. And I know we have camps of believers who think every single one of us should not have one possession. Like I do. I know camps of believers who they mock and make fun of and criticize Christians for having a home, for having things, and for having stuff. And so maybe in this room, we're not to sell all and just go out. Maybe, maybe you are. Maybe you are the, the person in here that has been invited to sell all, get rid of everything, and just go. But I will tell you, that in the same way that these guys renounced self-reliance, we are too. See, we may not be called to renounce or you know, get rid of all of our physical possessions, but you and I are to renounce self-reliance. I believe the theme of Scripture is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and all your ways. Acknowledge Him. Don't lean on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And so these disciples, they, yes, they were put in this extreme situation. And maybe, maybe, maybe we need to consider what is actually a need in America a little bit more. Maybe we do. But I do know that the same reliance they were to have on the provision of God is to be modeled in our lives. It may sound like a reality television show to us. But it is a groundwork, it is a foundation in the life of believers to reject trusting in our ways and to embrace trusting in God's ways. Now, not only do we see this lesson communicated in a very visual, remembering, I mean like mile marker kind of way for the disciples, but he didn't just send them out in once. Did you notice that he did not just send them one at a time? All right, all 12 of you, you're going to go to 12 areas. I mean, you can cover a lot of ground going one. I mean, you cut it in half if you send them by twos. So there's six different places that they may end up going. They may go to different places after. But here's the, the, in, the interesting thing about this is Jesus knowing the criticism that he faced and how difficult it was for him to be rejected, even in his own hometown, which we just talked about last week, do you think Jesus understands the danger of believing criticism? 
Do you think he understands the danger of beginning to take on rejection? I think he does. I think he's like, you two disciples, you two disciples, you two disciples, you two disciples, you, two disciples, you, you guys are going to need each other. And here's why. You're going to walk in and you're going to face criticism and rejection from all sorts of people. And I just want you to picture what would it have been like for one of these guys to face that type of rejection by himself. I will tell you that if you are a believer in this room and you choose to walk on your own, your thought life is going to be a disaster. Your thought life is going to be a breeding ground for destruction. And what I mean by that is as you face criticism, as you face rejection, maybe you start in a church and you're like, oh, this is awesome. And I'm going, and I'm going, and I'm going, and I'm going. But then you start hitting walls. You start getting beat up. You start questioning. And so what if John just went out by himself? What if he heard the door slam in his face over and over and over? And what if he heard, you're a dum-dum. This is the most ridiculous thing we have ever heard. Man, this is, this is garbage. Your faith is stupid. Like, I mean, what if over and over and over John heard this on his own? Maybe they're right. Maybe God can't use me. Maybe he doesn't care about me because I'm not seeing anything happening. Maybe they don't need the good news. You ever thought that? Things look real good for somebody and you've had the thought? Maybe they just don't need Jesus because they've got it all together. Maybe the gospel's not as good as I thought it was. Maybe, maybe Jesus is the kingdom and the other way that Jesus introduced us to. Maybe that is my truth. Maybe it is working for me, and it won't work for them. See, when you do this thing by yourself, your brain becomes a battlefield for dangerous thoughts about who you are, about who God is. Now, let's add another player into this scenario where the two go out, and maybe the door does get slammed, and maybe John hears all those words of criticism and hatred and no, get out, stay out. Maybe I'm not as good as I... Th- maybe, maybe, maybe God doesn't love me, and James is right there to say, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Maybe God doesn't... He's sending Jesus to do something and open a way for us to have life. With him, well, maybe the good news isn't that good. I mean, these people seem to be cool with everything, and they don't care about God or Jesus, and we're just coming in and interrupting their lives. Are you kidding me, John? Are you kidding me? Like, we were blind to the truth and the goodness of God. We were so blind to it, Jesus had to show up and reveal to us that we were blind and that we loved our blindness. Are you kidding me? There is no greater news than what we have to share with them. You're right. Let's just keep trusting God. See, I believe that it's strategic. And not just for criticism, because here's the other side of it, right? I mean, let's say John meets a ton of success. Let's say maybe John goes in and every village he goes to by himself, John, you are the greatest thing since sliced bread. John, you healed people. John, you taught people. John, no one's ever heard anything from, from anyone like you, and you're the greatest 
And John's like, yeah, I am. <laughs> Finally, some people recognizing me for who I am. I don't think I'm going back to the disciples. I don't think I'm going back. I need people like this around me. Now, let's add another person to the scenario. Man, Jesus, you should have seen me. I was on fire. Really, John? <laughs> Who gave you that authority anyways, right, John? Am I right? <laughs> was it Jesus? Oh, that's right. Well, I mean, okay, so I was healing these people. You were healing these people, John? I think it was Jesus healing through you. Well, then, but when I was teaching them about the kingdom, who taught you about the kingdom, John? You're right. You're right. You see, when you go this thing alone, you have a temptation to believe you can actually do this Christian walk without Jesus. And that's the real danger of it all, is that you will believe you're good on your own. I don't believe that Jesus just sent them out two by two to show the importance of friendship. I believe he sent them out two by two because it was mission-saving, life-saving sending out. It was critical to the gospel changing the world. I don't believe this is a, let's do a lesson on how you need a friend. Because see, the thing is, we can have people who let us talk about all the criticism we're facing. And what those friends can do is go, you're so much better than that criticism. You're so much greater than that criticism. Or we can have people go, you are that great. You are that awesome. Well, I'm not talking about people who will make your self-esteem Flair. I'm talking about people who will say, let's remember who Jesus is and what he's done. So when you do face criticism, you're not tempted to go, well, it's my identity. You have somebody right there with you going, you know what? You're not defined by success or failure. You're defined by what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. So you can't run and hide. You stand behind what Jesus has done when you're failing or when you're succeeding. The answer is the same. It doesn't change. You're always his. See, we have people who will love to inflate our egos all around us, but we don't have people around us who will say, no, the gospel sets you apart to be his. And the message and the stories you go and tell, they're not yours. They're his. You've been invited in. Don't forget that. So as they went, they faced rejection, they faced successes, and I don't believe it was just because they needed a friend. I believe it was mission-saving, life-saving, sent together. And if you're one who's walking this Christian faith by yourself or trying to, there is a danger on both sides of believing you're less than he made you to be or believing you're greater and you don't actually need him. In Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 10, we see a, a very... Uh, uncomfortable situation for all of the introverts in this room. Wherever you go, stay in the same house until you leave town. But if any place refuses to welcome you or listen to you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. That's tough. That's not easy. I mean, you're either seeing relationship built or you just walk away. Because I do believe there were probably some who 
accused the disciples of staying out too late, having nothing in their brain, because that's what people say. A-A. That is what people would say. But the disciples would keep cruising. They can't stop. They won't stop moving. It's like they've got this music in their body. And it's going to be all right. (laughs) I'm going to keep going. Because the players are going to play, play, play. (laughs) And the haters are going to hate, 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 hate. Shake it off. (laughs) Believe me, I know that song has ministered to more people than they'll know, but... But the truth is, there is a very real soberness in what Jesus asked them to do because it would be about forming relationships with people that would eventually change entire communities or they would walk away. Or they would say, you know what, I can't, I'm not going to fight you over this. I'm actually willing to lay my life down for you. It's not a, you better understand this or we take your life. No, it's we will lay our lives down so that you will know that Jesus is enough and that he's good and that he loves us. But there's also very real, real soberness to the joy and hopefulness that we proclaim the gospel with. And for the disciples to walk away and shake the dust off of their feet was to say that God is handing you over to what you want. And I've heard it said by, I think it was Tim Keller who said it, the the worst thing that God can do to you and I is to give us what we want if it is not him. I think we think of all these worst things in life, but the truth is, if He is life itself, the worst thing He can do is to give us what we want if it's not Him. And there's a soberness that comes with this. Historically, whenever um, a Jewish people were, were returning to the Holy Land, they would symbolically shake the dust off of their feet from the borders of the countries that they went into that were considered far away from God or pagan nations as to symbolize that they were home and those people were far from God. And in the same way as the disciples were to shake their feet off, the dust off of their feet as they left the village was to say, you can have your way. But your way is not enough. And the truth is that there is a separation that will still exist between you and a holy God because you have rejected His way. Jesus instructs these disciples to do this. Either stay with the family as they welcome you into their home, as was accustomed to most cities, was to welcome strangers and travelers. And as they stayed with them, they shared the good news. They shared what they themselves had seen and experienced. And in so, seeing transformation in these cities surrounding. Whenever the gospel, the announcement of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is done, there should be joy. There should be a hopefulness. There should be this, man, everything has changed. 
But as Christ followers, a soberness to the reality of the rejection of God has eternal implications. And I think what we've tried to do is we've tried to get rid of the eternal implications to justify us not feeling the weight of sharing the gospel. I think we've gone, you know what, it's, it's not that bad. Just leave the people to the, themselves. Leave it. Just let them have it. It doesn't matter. It's okay. That's what doing this Christian life on your own will lead to thinking. But in the context of community and together, there's an understanding that the gospel is such good news that, man, I'm not telling you to go and share it. I'm not, I, can't, I can tell you till I'm blue in the face, but it's when we understand the goodness of God and what Christ has accomplished on our behalf, it just becomes our life. Not a checklist. I, I've had my checklist moment. I handed a track out. I did my deed for the week. No, it becomes something that flows out of us. A longing for people to know the truth and the goodness of what Christ has done. The announcement, as Miss Sue was saying, that we are loved. We are loved and we are known by God. And He has done everything in order for us to have right relationship with Him. Turn from your sin and run to God. And sin truly is believing that there's anything greater or grander than God. And so the announcement that the disciples were making was a very simple message, and I think we've complicated it. We've tried to complicate it, but in verse 12, So the disciples went out, telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God. And they cast out many demons and healed many sick people, anointing them with olive oil. See, to repent of sins and to turn to God, they go together. And repentance, I've always, I was always taught that it's just changing your direction. And I'm like, it's so much more than that. Repentance is not just me going, well, I'm going this direction, and now I'm going this direction. It's not just motion changing or behavior changing. It is much deeper. It's this heart longing that says, I have offended God. I have rejected his ways. I don't want what he wants. Admitting those things and going, God, I long to be yours. And the way that that yours happens is through faith in Christ, not by my works. You see, we have to repent of our works. We have to repent that we've been working so hard to try and get to God. I just do enough good that I surely, I surely would know him. And he'll surely want me. And he's going, you need to repent of those ways. But then there's the other side of the extreme where I've been so bad, he can't want me. I've been so awful. I've been so messed up. He can't want me. And God's saying, you need to repent of those ways. See, there's nothing you can do. And there's nothing that you can have done that can separate you from him. It's unbelief that Jesus, eh, he's not as good. Jesus came to reconcile people to God. That's the announcement. There's a turning. That's why they go together. I repent of my sin, trusting in myself, whether it be for the good, I'm great, or whether it be for the, I'm not great. I confess those things Turn to Christ, because he's the one who saves us. The authority they were given over demons and sickness, I know we can make a big deal about those things. I do believe that where the Spirit of God is at work, physical and spiritual healing is going on. I believe that with everything in me. But the primary work of Jesus is to reconcile a broken and sinful humanity to a holy God. These signs, these healings, these demon castings, all secondary to the primary work of Jesus. When Jesus healed that sick man who was brought to him on a mat, 
Did he say to him, get up and take your mat first, or did he say something else? He said to the man, your sins are forgiven. And I'm sure everyone in that room except that man on the mat was completely clueless as to why. Well, it's clear that the man needs a healing. Why would you forgive his sins first? Because Jesus has the authority to forgive sin. Oh, yeah, you know what? Get up and take your mat too. Go. You're good. The message of the gospel is one that invites people in to right relationship with God. Where the Spirit is at work, both physical and, and, and spiritual healing become possible. But the truth is, we simply put ourselves in a position to be used by God. You and I just say, yes. Yes, God. Whatever it is you want, I'm going because I have been a spectator and a learner of your goodness, and you have invited me in to be a part of that mission, so yes. I don't even know what the question is, God, but yes. I don't know where you're going to send me, but you're going to be with me? Yes. That's the invitation, is to say, God, wherever you want me, you can use me. Wherever you send me, I'll go. That's what I want. See, I think in Christendom, we think Jesus is good enough to be our salvation, but I don't necessarily think he's, we think he's good enough to be our entire life. The biblical picture is he is life itself. When we encounter a Christ who is our entire life, he doesn't just become somebody that saves me from hell and for heaven. He saves me for himself to be used for his kingdom. And he makes every moment of my life matter. Every moment of my life becomes an opportunity to tell his story. Can you imagine when these six groups of men came back to Jesus? Can you imagine the community that they experienced telling of their journey? Can you imagine as the two, they were like, dude, that lady, she chased us down the alley with her broom for like half a mile. I didn't think she was going to stop chasing us. I thought we were going to get beat down, but that was awesome, right? Right, yeah, yeah. Well, do you remember when we showed up at that home and there was that, they had a sick kid and if we hadn't been there, I don't know what would have happened. Can you remember when we showed up at that home and they were wrestling with spiritual truth and they were trying and asking all these questions and then we were able to tell them how Jesus points all of it to him and, and, and that was amazing. Like, can you, you remember when we, were, we, we got those jobs and we were working outside and we were, you know, re-roofing the, the houses and that guy asked the question about what are you guys doing here? And we were like, well, this is actually why we're here. And we told him and he was like, this is incredible. This is amazing. Who is this Jesus? And we told, we we told him about it. It was, it was one of those moments. You remember that time we were facing criticism and persecution like never before? And how he comforted us? even though he wasn't standing with us? Man, that was so good. Do you remember how he provided for us when we didn't have anything left? You see, we were made to tell better stories than stories about us. We were made to be included in God telling his story to the world. This is what we're invited into. Though we see these difficult reality TV show foundations in this scene, 
Truthfully, it's the foundation for the way we were made to live life. Rejecting, oh, I need all this stuff, and saying, God, you can give me what I need. Rejecting the idea that I can go it alone, but knowing that I need people who will remind me of the faithfulness of God in the face of trials, persecution, and success. And then ultimately, that the message remains simple. Turn from your ways. Trust God. You may think your ways are leading you to life, but the truth is Jesus opened our eyes and revealed that we truly were blind people, loving our blindness. And when you catch a glimpse of him, everything changes. Now as the band comes and we close out our time this morning, Charles Spurgeon said it this way, Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Greg Niemer said it this way, when you live, Where you live doesn't make you a missionary. The mission you are on makes you a missionary. When the church stops functioning under the idea that it is someone else's job and she embraces her sentness, this is the game changer. When we, as the body of Christ, understand that we were made to go and tell the story of another, this is what the world needs to hear. This is what you and I need to hear on a regular basis. My work, my parenting, my friendships, my skill set, whatever I have, he uses this walking, breathing sacrifice to invite people home. Do you see yourself as a walking, breathing sacrifice? Because that's what we're invited to. And I know that doesn't sound very attractive. But that's why we need to repent. That's why we need to go, you know what? That whole sacrifice thing doesn't sound great. But Jesus, if you're saying it, it leads to eternal life. So I'm going to believe you. I'm going to trust that you're enough. Jim Elliott put it this way. Jim Elliott was actually a missionary to some Ecuadorian Indians. He was actually killed by the people he was trying to minister to. And the story of that... It's just fascinating that the gospel has gone and completely transformed that entire community, even though it started in such a dark moment. Jim Elliot said, wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt every situation you believe to be the will of God. And as one who lives for the name of another, we are all there. All for him, because he was all there for us. I don't live as one to the fullest hilt so that I receive this life. I have received life. Now I live to the full. That's the invitation. That's to know Christ. That's to go, you know what, Christ, you haven't just given me a ticket to heaven, but you are life itself. That's taking Jesus at his word. And that's what we're invited to do as the body of Christ is to tell his stories, tell of his works, tell of his power, tell of his redemption, tell of his grace. That's what we're invited into as his people. So this morning, um, as we do every Sunday, there will be some folks standing over here ready to just pray for you.
If you're like, man, I, I don't know where I'm at right now, but I could just use somebody praying for me. Uh, that's available there. I'll be standing over here as well. But it's a lot to consider when the message was as simple as the disciples said, repent and turn to God. Put down your ways of thinking and living that are actually not life at all and turn to God. That's the invitation of the gospel. Trust him because he has saved you and I for him. Lord, we love you and I just ask that in these moments that as your church, we take seriously the invitation to not just be a spectator or a learner, but a participant in the message and mission of Jesus. God, and where we're looking for greener grass somewhere else, we would just stop it. We'd just say, you are better. You're actually the one who causes us to lay down in green pastures. The greener grass we're looking for in this world, we will not find. But you are the good shepherd can lead us to that green grass. You cause us to lay down in it. Even when things don't look well. So this morning I pray as your people we would repent of our small views of you. And some of us in this room have a very large view of ourselves. Maybe we would repent of that and say, Jesus, you know all things. You have all authority. I'm handing you my life. It's in your name we pray.